Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is presented by Blue Wire Pods. Go check out bluewirepods.com today and check out all the great podcasts across the Blue Wire Pods network. Tons of great stuff. So go go check that out today. Uh, Outsider.com, who I just joined. So go check out Outsider.com, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. A uh, lot of great stuff. A lot of great content coming to you and uh, from the, the great folks over there at Outsider, which now includes me. Very excited to to work with this talented group of creators. So it's going to be fun. I'm excited to start with them. So follow along as... Uh, as we, we make the move and Outsider continues to grow and grow, along with Blue Wire Pods. It's fun stuff, fun stuff, exciting times. Um, also, on today's show, should probably outline it, right? Yeah, the Braves, 8-2, it's over. Um, and when I say it's over, uh, tonight's over. They go back home, still just got to get one of two here. Um, just one more win, that's all you got to do. You get two left, just win one. Um, actually, it's now 11-2 since I went in here <laughs> to uh, to tape this intro. So there you go. It, it, it got worse um, right after I left. But yeah, it, uh, it's bad, the the Braves. This one, mulligan, but you get out of LA, go back to Atlanta, and uh, I'm, I'm not panicking just yet. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, Hawks, 113-87 over the Mavs. Uh, very excited about that. Good, good start right out of the gate for Atlanta. Um, man, it's gonna be a fun year. Gonna be a fun year. Too early to overreact to um, one game. Yeah, um, it is the Mavericks, who I think should be a playoff team. But this is this is gonna be interesting. This is gonna be interesting. Cam Reddish plus 14, 20 points, 15 shots, four threes. Ooh, this is gonna be good. This is going to be good. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited. This, this Hawks team's deep. Um, today's show, it's pretty stacked, pretty stacked group. We got Bill Obstead on the, on the Seahawks. No Russell Wilson. What, where are the Seahawks at? They're in trouble at two and four in the NFC West. Um, we got Adam Carter, the Grayson football coach down there in my home area of Gwinnett County. Um, he won the 2020 GHSA state state title um grayson planned brookwood on this friday episode so you'll hear that before they play on gpb but yeah coach adam carter was gracious enough to come on the pod tonight so thank you to him also go big orange friday so you got ryan shepherd and ethan stone to talk all things tennessee football tennessee versus bama tennessee baseball back and then tennessee basketball all right that's all i got uncle darren let's go Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am now joined by old friend Bill Obstead, who covers the Seahawks. Who tough thing to say out loud on uh, on Thursday, October twenty first, twenty twenty one. Ooh, Bill, where are you at? How how are things going? Well, you know, I followed the team for a long time, long enough to know that these things happen, and you're going to go through periods of uh, downturn. We're set at two and four. Nobody, at least I didn't, uh, most people didn't expect to have that uh, be the start of the year, but here we are. Uh, we've been there before, actually came back and, and made the playoffs in 2015 with the same record. Of course, Russell Wilson's out right now. Um, 
with a with a finger thing. He's out for at least two more games plus a bye week. So um, right now it's Geno Smith's show, which is, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't have expected to say that. Um, and we'll see uh, what we've got in him. And I, I think we know what we've got in him, you know, to be completely honest. Um, he's definitely got a ceiling. But let's see if we can limp through these next couple of games and, and then find out where we're at. And by the way, thank you for having me on. Thanks for being back, man. Well, let's talk about what happened on on uh, on Monday night or Sunday we, night, rather. Do we have to? Yeah, we have to. <laughs> we have to. Um, what did you see in this one? What did you see from Gino? You mentioned Gino. We we're all talking. Everyone in fantasy is just concerned with Collins and uh, the latest Seattle running back who is like, oh, is this the one? Is this the the one that we invested in fantasy football? Is this the Seattle running back we can we can trust? Um, no. What did you What did you see in that game? What What happened? What were your strongest takeaways after after the Pittsburgh game on Sunday night? Yeah, interesting. The uh, the game was set up to kind of get Seattle right. Um, if we had Russell Wilson, I mm-hmm. think it would have been one of those games. Yeah. You know, Smith comes in. It's kind of an unknown situation. They came in actually really flat in the first half. Um, Steelers came up 14 to zero. Um, and I just really question what was going on with the offense not only just with geno smith but overall they just had no attitude at all they didn't feel like they needed to be there wanted to be there they didn't want to make an impression nothing but they went in at halftime something was said and they came back out with some life they uh, actually scored some points they went up on pittsburgh at one point and uh, made it a game pittsburgh came back uh in the end and nipped them in overtime 23 to 20 um, my overall impressions, I was happy to see that uh, with the offense. In the third quarter, they fed the ball to Alex Collins, who was able to establish himself a little bit and really showed that he wanted to carry the ball. A lot of great effort. Um, the offense in general looked like it wanted to be there, which was my biggest takeaway. At least these guys are trying. Um, Dark defense. It's dark yeah. times. <laughs> it's, we're two and four. What, mm-hmm. what can I say? On the defensive side, um, they seem like they came back to kind of their base defense that they played with at the end of last year. So games 8 through 16 in 2020, uh, the Seahawks were one of the better defenses in the league. I think overall they were fifth in that stretch. Um, combined with the first half performance, they were 15th overall at the end of the year in overall uh, defense. This year, they started out just as weak as they did at the beginning of last year, and everyone's going, what's going on? Because um, it's not really a talent issue. It's not a roster issue. We've got some great talent on the roster. I think a lot of folks, including myself, came out at the beginning of the year. We kind of predicted another 11 to 13 win team. Um, and on paper, it looks like that's what they should be. And they came out this year just really flat. The defense has given up a ton of yards, some big plays, and we're just not able to put it all together. So coming out of this game, I'm really not sure. Uh, The Steelers were able to do enough on offense. I think they came into this game ranked 27th overall. Um, And the defense was no better, you know, in the end. So not really sure what to expect going forward. Um, for the fantasy folks, would you encourage encourage them to to buy in on Collins? I'm not sure. Alex Collins mm-hmm. left that game early. Yeah. Um, 
with some sort of a hip injury. I think he's nursing that along pretty good this week. He's expected to practice today. I would expect that he plays. Now, we all know um, that Chris Carson mm-hmm. is out for the next few games on injured reserve. Collins is the guy. But we also get Rashad Penny back. I don't know if anybody remembers that name. Yeah, first round pick, Rashad Penny. First, first round pick, Rashad Penny. Unfortunately for Rashad, he's just had injury after injury after injury. And we've just not been able to see any consistent effort for him at all. But he's back this week. According to Pete Carroll, he's 100%. He's full speed. So we'll see what we've got there. I would imagine if the Seahawks can, they would like to run the ball by committee. So I'm not sure if Alex Collins would uh, have a repeat performance, 100-yard performance again this week or not. And in addition to that, the upcoming opponent, the um, the Saints, are, I think, ranked currently third in the NFL in defending the run. Mm. What is the best the best thing you've seen from Gino for, for the Seahawks fans listening? Um, what is the most encouraging sign that you saw from Gino on Sunday night to keep this thing going until Russell Wilson gets back? Yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to go back to the to the second half of the previous game where Russell Wilson got hurt and Gino came in. Uh, the most encouraging thing that I saw was uh, Gino taking command. Um, came in, took command of the huddle, took command of the offense, marched the team straight down the field on his first drive from like 97 yards out, scored a touchdown. Uh, he changed a lot of plays at the line of scrimmage, went through all his progressions, uh, often, you know, two, three reads. Um, and then things kind of, you know, discombobulated for him after that. In this Pittsburgh game, I saw some similar things. I think Gino is always going to be one of those guys that's a dink and dunk guy. He's got the arm strength to kind of go downfield, but the decision-making after about 20 yards is suspect, at least it has been uh, during his career. I don't expect that to change really. So underneath, anything that's underneath, anything crossing over the middle, screens, et cetera, he's pretty good, pretty good game manager, but he's not going to go out and win games for you. Um, And that still kind of holds true. But we're not really looking for him to do that right now. We're just kind of looking for him to kind of squeak out a win, um, do enough, and maybe the defense kind of steps up. Um, But if the defense doesn't step up, even Russell Wilson wasn't able to get some of these games. Mm. Um, How so do you think that's it for Russell Wilson? You see, you think it's two games, the bye, and he's back. Um, No chance for any time before that, correct? I don't think so. The only thing that would prevent him from coming back um, later than that, I don't think any earlier than that. He is on injured reserve. That's a maximum three games. Um, he's only been out one. So he's got the two games plus the bye. That's going to be the minimum. There is a chance that they could hold him out longer than that if Seattle were to drop the next two games. I think that if they lost to the Saints, and in particularly Jacksonville after that, um, that would point to a season that is really basically lost at that point. We'd be 2-6 and six at the bye. Nothing really to rush Russell Wilson back into. So depending on the injury and severity, and if he's 100%, uh, he may come back. But if he's not fully 100%, there's no reason to press him into service. Whew. Things change quickly. Things yeah. change quickly. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But this was something we talked about, I think, before the season, was that like I looked at this division, and you can make the case for all four of uh, of these teams. And obviously... 
like if the Cardinals were going to do what they were going to do this year, someone had to fall. And with the Rams were going to be as good as advertised, someone had to drop down. But I always came back to I'm like, Russell Wilson just doesn't win less than double digit games. So I, mm-hmm. I turned to the Niners. Like I picked the Niners to finish fourth in this division. Um, I just thought they would play a rookie and that would not go well. And I just had some questions about San Francisco just bouncing right back. Um, but no one saw Arizona coming. No one saw this kind of start um, in Arizona. But also just that like everything's gone right. The defense has been fixed. The offense, Kyler playing at an MVP level. Um, D Hop is is great. They have a running game again with Connor and Edmonds. The offensive line's playing well. All everything came together. But this is like one of the things when we do preseason why it's such a frustrating exercise sometimes is that like sometimes it's just injuries. Like Russell Wilson got hurt, so that's it. Changed the thing. It changed everything. Um the Niners can't stay healthy and they're having to throw their rookie quarterback out there sometimes. Jimmy Garoppolo can't stay healthy. Um they're messed up all across the board. Guess what? That that upend your season a lot of it's just health and the rams have been healthy the cardinals have been healthy and they're playing well um the seahawks are not healthy and uh losing russell wilson obviously changes everything and two and six of the bye would be just devastating because there's that looming question is this the last year of russell wilson in seattle and if it goes out on a sad note like that i mean he seems like the all-time competitor and i mean the the cringy stuff even Seahawks fans admit that he is just the cringiest of the cringe. Like the the faking the break huddle, like breaking a fake huddle on Sunday Night Football. That was uh, that was a lot, Bill. That that was a lot for me to to watch and just be like, okay, because uh, I'm a Russell Wilson defender. I still think he's a top five, top maybe three at his peak uh, quarterback in this league. But stuff like that, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it, Bill. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just I wonder with just his future like we know that it i I mean it can go a lot of different ways this offseason and then pete carroll being the oldest the oldest head coach in the nfl like is it's starting to feel a little like seattle could undergo crazy crazy upheaval this offseason if things don't come together rather quickly right yeah it does seem like a transition you know it really does and speaking about the russell wilson thing he's just that guy i know Mm -hmm. it seems weird but he's just genuinely that guy he hasn't ever been any different like he just approaches things this way and it's just his kind of mindset and it's just it is what it is it looks weird it's kind of weird to people that don't kind of get it um but uh and and sometimes i don't either but for him it just seems like it's one of those things that Oh yeah, it's Russ. I mean, I think it's genuine um, too. I just think it's corny. I think both can be corny. true. <laughs> oh, corny. Oh yeah. Um, on the on the on the uh, change front, yeah, like two and four gets you into that conversation, and two and six for sure does. Uh, you're right. Uh, Pete Carroll, seventy years old. Uh, Russell Wilson. We all know about the off season um, that he had, and he kind of came back into the fold. And the team kind of let everyone know that. Um, so there was no distractions during the year, but here we are. And um, this whole thing could kind of repeat again in the offseason, depending on how this thing kind of plays out. Um, it, it's interesting because you try to avoid these conversations as long as possible. And you're really the first person that I've had a chance to kind of dig into a little bit on this. And I would say that the team can go a couple different directions. I would think that it would be Pete Carroll that would be the one that would that would leave but at the same time Pete's president of football operations as well he kind of controls the whole thing other than the owner and the owner is Jody Allen 
Paul Allen used to be there. Jody's his sister. He, she kind of inherited the, the, the organization and really has the same people in place right below her in executive uh, capacity. So we've got the same leadership team. Um, so everything seems stable at the ownership level. But is she strong enough to kick Pete out um, if he needs to go? And that's the big question. And I'm not sure. Um, does Pete want to stick around at 70 years old on a rebuilt? And it depends on if it's a reset, if it's just one side of the ball, if the defense needs to be rebuilt. Maybe that's one thing. If the whole thing kind of needs to be torn down from the coaching staff all the way down, does he stick around for something like that? Do we want him to stick around for something like that? That's a big question. I don't, I'm not prepared to answer that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly those issues are definitely going to come up. And then Russell Wilson. What's Russell Wilson's timeline? We know he's under contract for the next couple, two, three years. We know that a rebuild is going to take at least three, if not four years. Uh, if you're building around a franchise quarterback, sometimes that rebuild is accelerated a little bit. So it would be ideal if you build around Russell Wilson. At the same time, Russell Wilson's the most valuable player on the roster, and we already know that we can probably get three first-round picks, plus maybe a couple additional picks, maybe a player. So there's a lot of rebuilding opportunity there by moving on. So huge questions. Um, we're two and four. When we get to two and six, I think we really do start to take a look at what's the plan for 2022 and beyond. Um, and, and even Bobby Wagner's in that question um, because he's got one year left, but it's at $20 million for a middle linebacker. And Bobby Wagner's still really effective, but at some point he's going to drop off. Do you go ahead and try to move Bobby Wagner at the trade deadline, for example, to see if you can get additional draft capital for 2022? So there's just all sorts of things, all sorts of issues now that I think we as media people following the Seahawks just haven't had to have those sorts of conversations for 10 years now. All of a sudden we're starting to talk about these things. So it's kind of crazy. Mm. And I, we really have no idea which way this is going to go. Things can turn around like Gino could ball out over the next couple of weeks and they could be right back in the thick of things, especially in the wild card race. It's and, true. And, and, and there's 17 games this year an extra wild card mm-hmm. team does get in. So I don't think they're a Super Bowl team. No, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Right. But if you want to continue the tradition of getting into the playoffs, having a winning record, mm-hmm. that's still on the table. Let's not let's let's make sure that that's clear. It just is not trending that way right now. No, no. Um, what has been different this year about the squad that you did not expect? The defense. Mm. Yeah, the you're pretty high on them coming into this year. You know, I was I was okay high on them. Yeah. Um, I thought that they had a pretty decent roster. I thought they improved on a couple different spots. I think defensive back was always going to be suspect. They didn't really clearly define that and address that in the offseason. So I thought that was definitely a weakness. But at the same time, I thought the pass rush, given all the additions, plus uh, the addition of um, Daryl Taylor coming back, playing his first year after his rookie year was scratched, would be enough to have them put enough pressure on the quarterback change timing etc to kind of give the back end some cover and the defense would be okay um turns out we haven't been able to get the pressure we haven't had the sacks that i thought that would be there we've been poor at defending the run and the defense has just been getting walked all over and you can't win games with that like that even with russell wilson at quarterback russell wilson has been enough to kind of make up for some of those shortfalls 
in the last few years and this year it's just too much um and so and then with with him out now it seems like it's hopeless i know that there's there's hope and there's always a chance but it seems like we've just kind of turned the corner in the wrong direction Mm. yeah i and it's just you have a lot of ground to make up and it doesn't help that the rams and the cardinals are just oh the cardinals are on fire i mean we're already four games back (laughs) with five games played or six games played that's not good no no i'm sorry there's not a lot of optimism at the moment that's why i wanted to get your perspective what what is the fans perspective like um with seahawks playbook and uh this fan interactions and what like just on twitter and like what you've noticed talking to friends that kind of thing what are like what are their sentiments towards the seahawks group are people more into the idea of like if this keeps going this way that like okay pete moves on after this year um, he can retire. He can be an advisor mm-hmm. uh, to Seattle long term, whatever. And then we trade Russell Wilson, like you said, for three first round picks, and we just we just start over. We just move on from this era. It uh, got us a ring, great run, but ultimately let's just let's just move past it. Because I don't I don't think the Russell Wilson stuff's ever going away until it's actually gone. Like it doesn't seem like he's going to be one thousand percent in. I think there's always going to be the the wonders and the whispers about him looking elsewhere until it actually happens it seems like once it's out there like that and i i don't know it seems like it's it hard to put the cap in the back because you know there is a national narrative around mm-hmm. russell wilson and there always has been you know and i haven't been able to really put my finger on it as to why he was kind of the chosen one he's he's the guy that comes up every year in rumors mm-hmm. and it just is what it is and this year he he didn't play that down and kind of uh his his agent didn't help kind of threw some teams out there etc so that chatter was out there for longer than normal in the offseason so that's going to happen as far as the settlement currently i think the the outward vocal loudest person in the crowd settlement on twitter for sure is this is over um we're two and four the writing's on the wall pete carroll's awful we've drafted horrible for five years uh russell wilson needs to to go um let's blow the whole thing up so that's the early outward vocal settlement I think the more seasoned sentiment is, hey, we're two and four. We've got a few more games to kind of figure this out. Let's play this out and see where we're at at the trade deadline, which is right after uh, two weeks. It's two weeks from Sunday, right? Two weeks Mm -hmm. from Monday. Um, Let's kind of see where we're at. So I think that's the prevailing kind of realistic option. And then um, we do have Russell Wilson coming back. So there's, I think no matter what, I think we'll, we'll, the best case scenario seems to be that we'd, we'd go one and one in the next two. We'd still be under 500. Russell's coming back. There's really, you're not going to be in a buyer's market at that point. Um, you're also might not be willing to sell um, as far as being a player in, in, you know, on trades. So it seems like you're just going to play this year out and um, take what you have in January and kind of reassess, reevaluate and, um, so I would anticipate a lot of change, but I would anticipate it's probably going to be in January, February. Okay. Okay. Uh, last thing here. We'll do positive and negative to, to wrap up here. Which players have surprised you in a good way to this point, and which players have disappointed you, surprisingly? I think on the positive, um, I'm going to say, you know, Alex Collins, even though he only showed up for, for basically one half of a game, I think 100 yards against the Steelers and a not bad defending the run defense. 
was encouraging. Um, boy, there's just not a lot. I think Trey mm. Brown coming in in the same game as a rookie uh, defender um, came in and played 40 snaps and had the best uh, pro football focus grade of the defense. Um, and he was our, was it third, fourth round pick? This last draft, we only had three picks. Mm-hmm. Um, he, was the, he was the guy that Seahawks chose to, to be a corner, um, which kind of went against the, the grain a little bit. So it was good to see him show up. Um, boy, <laughs> it's hard. I think I'm going to have to turn in the other direction and kind of go mm-hmm. with the disappointments. Um, Carlos Dunlap. Like, Carlos Dunlap was signed in the offseason. We kind of let him go so that we could get him at a, at a better contract, but we still gave him a contract. And he was kind of expected to come in and, and have some pressures, have some sacks, really kind of help the defense kind of turn the corner. And he just really hasn't had anything. I think he's had like four or five pressures for the season, even playing like 45% of the snaps and no sacks. Um, and you can kind of go across the board on the defensive line there um, with some disappointments. Kerry Hyder was signed in the offseason to come in and kind of, he had nine and a half sacks last year with San Francisco zero sacks um jordan brooks their first round pick last year at linebacker was expected to come in and start at strong side linebacker this year both being able to affect uh some pass rush and some passing down opportunities but also have to drop back into coverage and he's been horrible at dropping back into coverage this year although he showed some positive signs that he would be better he just hasn't so far this year um Let's let's take a look at Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams last year by this time had probably four four sacks on his way to eight and a half, nine sacks on the season. Set a record for defensive backs. This year he has none. He's got a couple pressures. They just haven't used him in the same way. Um, and so his effectiveness has dropped off. So when you take a look at all of that, plus I could probably go on. Um, it's just been more bad news overall on individual player performances than it has been good news for sure. Hmm. Predictions. <laughs> I, tried. I tried to be positive. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it is what it is. I, I'm a Falcons fan, Bill. So it, it, <laughs> let me just say, I, I'm also going through a rebuild right now with a veteran oh, quarterback. It's painful. It really is. Yeah. It's frustrating. Um, what can we check out from you this week across the Ox playbook, sir? Yeah, SeahawksPlaybook.com is our website. You can find us by searching uh, Seahawks Playbook Podcast on your favorite podcast apps and YouTube if you're interested. Um, Yeah, we put out three shows a week now. So we're doing a reaction show um, on Mondays. And on Wednesdays, we're doing a kind of a midweek show um, that kind of evaluates everything that's going on in the week of, of Seahawks football. And then we do a preview show. So just a lot going on. And I uh, hope everyone has a chance to check it out. All right. Go do that if you have not already done so. Keep up the great work, sir. I'm, I'm hoping it turns around for you. Hoping it turns Thank around you. for you and, uh, and the Seahawks this year. We've got, we got to at least be respectable. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. Seahawks not being respectable for, for a while. They, it's just become a, a whole thing. And I also like when Russell Wilson and the Seahawks are cooking. It's fun. Uh, and also... Uh, irrelevant but tyler lockett is my one of my two receivers on uh, my fantasy team so him not having what happened this past weekend happen again because he was off to a blazing start blazing yeah. start yeah it's hard to have receivers now with geno smith as quarterback you just don't know what you're gonna get so i should sit him this week is what you're saying boy that's a good question 
Um, they may be forced to throw a lot this in this game, though. Okay. Yeah, and and if they do, Tyler Lockett's going to be the guy because he's a great outlet guy, and Geno Smith has been around enough to where they've got a nice little uh, a nice little bond there. So he might be worth keeping. You know, he might end up with uh, three catches, unfortunately, but he could end up being you know ten plus catches in this game, um, depending on how they elect to to prevent Seattle from running the ball. Okay. I like it. I like it. Bill, always a pleasure checking in with you, man. Thank you so much. You stay safe out there, and uh, we'll check back in again soon. Thanks for having me. All right, Go Big Orange Friday is here. Ryan Shepard of Rocky Top Insider is, you guessed it, here. Ryan, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing well. Uh, excited to be back on. <laughs> Certainly a lot to talk about from uh, last Saturday. So excited to get to it. Oh man, it feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Like it's Thursday it when we're taping this, and I don't know. It feels like a long, long time ago since then. Yeah, it really does. It feels weird that I mean, I guess it was just five days ago now. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess that's just the nature of the, the sports world too. But had. Coach O get fired on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Big Titans fans who got got to watch that win uh, Monday night. That obviously the following MLB playoffs pretty closely all week. It it feels like there's been a billion sports stories uh, and even a handful of sports stories at Tennessee uh, since last Saturday. It never stops. I mean, we got the Pruitt stuff to get to Tennessee baseball exhibitions. Uh, Rick Barnes going after Pruitt, like all kinds of great stuff this week. Tennessee. The, just it, they never they never stop for content it's the it's the Dar- Darrell uh what is his name Darren Ravel rather tweet I feel bad for our country but this is tremendous content but for for us three it's I feel bad for our university but this is tremendous content that's that's where we're at with being a UT fan but and UT student um also here Ethan Stone of the UTK Daily Beacon Ethan good afternoon sir how are you I'm doing great. I want to share that sentiment, but it feels like it's been forever since Saturday. I mean, I feel like Saturday night after the game, it felt like it was forever since the game. Mm-hmm. I, you kind of get that drift also. I don't know, it was 3 in the morning, and I was like, wow, it has been a while since Joe Milton just ran out of bounds. <laughs> it's been a while since the field was pelted with trash, you know, but, you know, excited to talk about it. A lot of stuff, a lot of stuff coming up. So, uh, yeah, I'm getting ready for it. Well, y'all were in the press box for this game. What was the reaction like in the press box? Could y'all tell? Because y'all had a higher up view of where it was coming and like what was happening. Did y'all see it happen in real time? Well, what? So with five minutes left in the game, media are allowed to go down to the field. So mm-hmm. at that point, there's a lot less people in the press box, and I always stay out there because I have a you know four quick takeaways after the game. So you know Tennessee, they had the Jacob Warren play see that get stopped short i watched the replay a couple times felt pretty confident they weren't going to overturn it start kind of trying to work on the four takeaways finish that up listen call in the field stands i just go back to typing and then i look up a minute or two later i see people throwing stuff on the field and my first thought was now that it was good for tennessee my first thought was okay this is kind of good for me i need there's a minute there's a minute left in this game i need to be able to get this done real quick <laughs> so i just kind of go back to working and, and then i look up again after I, I got done doing what i needed to do and the whole, whole miss team was on the field uh the 
raining uh, stuff from the stands had not stopped. And it, at that point, it still went on another 10 minutes. It was just kind of surreal to watch. Um, and like I said, there weren't a ton of people left in the press box uh, at that point. So it, it wasn't like people were really talking about it uh, that much at that point, but certainly a crazy thing to watch. Yeah, for sure, for sure. What about you, Ethan? What did you see and what did you make of it as it was happening? Yes, I was also one of the guys left in the press box. The guy to my right had left, gone down to the field, and I didn't have anything pressing I needed to do. I have like a uh, the beacon likes to put up a like hundred word thing just right as the uh, as the game ends, and then we update the story later. And so I guess I was kind of working on that. I kind of had the the same thing as Ryan. I was like, okay, I can just write for a little bit. This will be you know five minute thing. It'll be over and done. And then you know. I kind of decided, I was like, actually, I kind of want to watch what's happening because, like, I saw people moving away from the sidelines, the Alabama players and whatnot, and then I see the band leave. I'm like, okay, there's something going on down there. I couldn't quite tell that it was people throwing trash yet, but at about minute five, I figured out, oh, this is not good. This might be going on for a while. And then that slowly progressed into, oh, my goodness, they might cancel this game, (laughs) you know, and obviously that never happened, and I don't think there were any legitimate talks that that was going to happen, but... I'd be lying if I said that didn't go through my mind that, oh, this this is really serious. They could end up, you know, do, doing something about this. I was I was pulling for the, the no contest. Let's get out of here with a, a zero zero. Let's let's get the no contest because I was a little concerned that uh, uh, that they would just forfeit, which would have been the worst scenario. They just uh, and you want to you want to cause ruckus at Neyland with one hundred and two thousand and seventy thousand of those people being quite hammered. Go ahead and have a forfeit at that point in the game. Go ahead and make them forfeit. That that would have been great. Um, it was a it was a crazy scene. Obviously, not something that you support. And the reaction to Ben Swift. I think we've all got the emails about uh, identifying yep. people on campus uh, who were involved in this. Uh, we got the same fine that Kentucky got for storming the field, and part of that was because Kentucky has done it multiple times. So they're, like, they're a multiple offender, multi time offender for storming the field and all that kind of stuff. But um that was kind of bonkers like 250,000 for for UT uh not not exactly a lot of thing I Radio Wyatt uh, Matt Wyatt former Mississippi State quarterback in front of the pod made this point on his show this week and I agree with it it's just like what he would have done is probably banned students next week and then leveled a significantly higher fine like you you don't get the student section next home game like that's that's something that's just tossed like something like that to like show that like hey you can't can't be doing this but uh not really the case, and I just don't think uh, much is going to change. And I think um, the reason I did not go to this game is uh, I was just like, this is highly combustible. And I think we joked about it on the pod where I was like, hi- like hypo wanting a hostile atmosphere for this. Let's not encourage this. Let's not encourage like Kiffin's return in like a hostile kneeling environment because obviously over 100,000 people uh most people double fisting with cores and miller lights because if you go to these games you see people don't want to wait in the lines so they're double fisting tall boys they're coming back to their seats with two tall boys <laughs> students included and uh yeah i mean it just it didn't surprise me that it it just blew up and it got to that point especially because the game was so close and the officiating was so bad i mean the explanation for 
the Mark Barron scoop and score uh, was awful, and especially in the moment in the game was just bonkers. Um, the people were g- growing upset about the the injury issues for Ole Miss and just stopping Tennessee from getting any kind of rhythm offensively. Um, I don't know. This it was just a mess. It was one of the more memorable games though uh, in our our memory, right? Like we're gonna remember the Ole Miss return with Kiffin in Neyland for for a very long time the people are going to remember the mustard and the golf balls and everything and Kiffin's response and throwing the visor but like I I'm just gonna remember so many different things and Joe Milton like I might forget that in a couple weeks that Joe Milton just ran out of bounds with the time expired and didn't throw the ball in the end zone and he got enough where Heupel never goes after dudes publicly in the media and he never really likes to be all that negative but him even just being like yeah that obviously was not what we wanted and just being a disappointed dad and Milton running out of bounds there was was a lot um i don't know i i think it it, it happened it, we have to move forward and we get this this young upstart program on the docket for saturday let me check my notes here the alabama crimson tide so that's that's <laughs> nice that's nice um ethan what was your biggest takeaway though actually on the field from tennessee old miss um something that i just think a lot it's like you said, something that's going to just fly completely under the radar is just how well Hooker played again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to go into hypotheticals here too much, but, you know, if if Milton doesn't, I mean, sorry, if if Hooker doesn't go down on that scramble after the really nice return by Bayless Jones to get to the 50, then, you know, it, it might be a different outcome. And that's, like I said, being completely hypothetical, but he played really well. The receivers played really well. Cedric Tillman especially. I think he had six catches, maybe five. Um, you know, for like 90-something yards. Played really well, had a chance to put it away at the end, Cedric Tillman did. And uh, But, yeah, just, just Hooker in general and, and the severity of the injury at the end, we don't really know as of right now. Um, Heupel says it's day-to-day, which I, for one, am shocked about. I thought it was like potentially season-ending ending when I saw it because it did not look very good um, when he went down on the field. But... Yeah, I think it's just being overlooked how well Hinden Hooker really played, putting him in a position to possibly knock off the number 13 team in the country. Ryan, what do you think? Well, my biggest takeaway was kind of flipped, and it was just how well Tennessee's defense played. Mm-hmm. You told Josh Heupel before the game, you'd give up 31 points, you'd get a safety, you'd force Matt Corral's first interception of the year. I think he would take it in a heartbeat and feel pretty confident Tennessee was going to win. And then you add the fact that seven of those points come on a short field. Uh, Matthew Butler stripped Matt Corral one time. Obviously, uh, Ole Miss recovered that one. And then you have the the other one, I guess Matthew Butler was the one that stripped it on the Tyler Barron play that probably should have been a defensive touchdown. So, I mean, Tennessee's defense played really, really well. And, you know, the the quarterback draws, they got killed by that. They, could, they struggled to get off the field. And, I mean, it was big time, then don't break, but in a game like that, it just felt like in the second half they were kept on beyond the field. They were on the field for 70 snaps, now 80, now 90, now 100. And it was it just didn't feel like with the depth issues that Tennessee had on defense that they could keep up with that. But they did. Two, three times in the second half they gave Tennessee's offense the ball with a chance to take the lead, obviously two times in the last six or seven minutes of the game. So I, I was just really impressed by how well Tennessee's defense plays. It's just, you know, even though my, my expectations for them are sliding with how or sliding upwards with how well well they're playing, they continue to seem to to kind of play better than I expect every week. And then on the reverse of that, I think it was a, a disappointing game for Tennessee's offense. I I definitely don't disagree with Ethan. I thought Hinton Hooker played uh, a, a good game and certainly made a ton of plays in the second half. But 
Tennessee couldn't get its running backs involved in the rush game the way they'd like. Obviously, both the, the Mays brothers being injured on the offensive line didn't help with that. But uh, just too many missed opportunities uh, for Tennessee's offense. Uh, I, I think it, when your defense plays like that at home with that environment uh, against a top 15 team and your head coach is an offensive-minded coach who's a good offensive-minded coach, I, uh, I feel comfortable saying seven games in the season, you have to score over 31 points against a pretty suspect Ole Miss defense. You have to take advantage. You have to win a big game like that. Did you know the Mays brothers went to Knox Catholic and were local Knoxville kids? Yep. Mm. Didn't know that. Yeah. That, that, I just, I, I, sometimes people forget, and I'm glad the broadcast reminded us that the Mays brothers were, were local Knoxvilleans and went to Knox Catholic. Yeah, that was, that I, was didn't know that was sar- I didn't know that was sarcastic, and I was a little confused <laughs> by that. But see, that's where I didn't, I didn't watch the game. I, have, I, I didn't know that. I should have known because the announcers always have that one or two things every game. That they they love bringing it up. And over and over again. Yeah. I mean, how could, how could they even talk about it that much in the game? Neither of them were playing. Like, well, what, what is that from the SEC Network broadcast? Mm. Oh, going after Jordan Rodgers was not good in this game. Not a, I, I didn't like the broadcast crew here. Shots fired at uh, Tom Hart and Jordan Rodgers here, but I didn't like it. A little too old Missy for me. I don't know. I'm not usually that got that the fan who looks at announcers where it's like oh they clearly they don't uh they they're going one way but i don't know the broadcast was pretty pretty pro old miss majority also i i want to take notes i think the next game for alabama on saturday i'm going to jot down on the side of my my notepad how many times they show saban versus hypel because hypel is never shown kiffin was shown in this game on tv at least 37 times just for no reason just b-roll kiffin strolling down the sideline and then you i you never see hypo on tv um but a lot of that i've been in the building so i'm curious if it's just that particular game because it was kiffin but like do we see saban highlighted on the broadcast 93 times uh pacing around and do we see hypo twice three times i I don't know we just never never really see him so i'm just curious why that is but uh i don't know do you do you like the sec's explanation on the baron fumble ethan um, there wasn't much of an explanation, uh, so no. <laughs> um, and and that's just, I mean, they pretty much just regurgitated what the officials on the field said. They were like, the officials thought it was forward progress, which it wasn't because he didn't move a muscle. Um, you could, I, I'm not even sure he moved backwards. I think he just stood there with the ball trying to run um, Kiffin's fake play. But, um, mm. you know, one way or another, what's happened has happened, so... You know that that ship has sailed, but I don't think the explanation was very good. I think Tennessee fans kind of have a right to be angry about that still because I think that was one of the most uh, you know, apart from the obvious shocking things that happened on Saturday was like how how they can just go back and and turn that into uh, I, I just don't know what they saw. I, I I can't even form words. I'm not exactly sure what they saw that they thought that that was not a touchdown, and so for them to come out with this explanation explanation i'm just i don't know i think it's a little suspect and it it kind of shows that they aren't taking that accountability to where they should be yeah uh but it is what it is it happened move forward tennessee i thought by and large to ryan's point too the defense is just tim banks has coached his tail off this year like this defense has been so much better than it had any business being um also, just I wonder what this game would have looked like if Tion Evans had played. Like, not having Tion, I think, really, it really showed up. Not having that home run threat in the backfield um, this week against Ole Miss. But we'll we'll have him back, it looks like, for, for this weekend against Alabama. But um, speaking of Alabama, 
Ryan, your expectations for uh, for TD underdogs uh, in Tuscaloosa this weekend, the Henry Toa Toa revenge game. Um, this is, I think, he leads the the tie in tackles uh, defensively, but he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, picked up right where he left off. The dude just he loves getting tackles, but also Alabama's linebackers this year have not been very good. Um, besides the point, Alabama, Tennessee. Heupel has to answer that unfortunate question. Like, do you still see this as a rivalry? It's like, no, it's not. It has been one for a long time. Tennessee hasn't won since, what, 06? Um, I have my doubts about this being the year that uh, Tennessee does it, but um, maybe part of that, keeping it close, does it come down to just Hendon Hooker playing to keep this close? Or what What are your expectations going into Saturday? Well, for one, on your Heupel, is it a rivalry thing? Uh, who I feel bad for, and no one shoot me for this. I feel bad for Nick Saban. I mean, he has to get this question every single year for the last five years, and he just got to regurgitate the same line about how it means a lot to Alabama people, blah, 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 blah. But you know, expectations for Saturday, yeah, it's hard to say without knowing if Hendon Hooker is going to play. And I think keeping it close is, is pretty is much as simple as that. If Hooker plays, Tennessee will have a chance to maybe – stay in it, hang around for a while. If he doesn't play, I have a really hard time seeing that being the case for Joe Milton. And Look, I, I'd be surprised if Hooker plays. It's You look at the fact that one, he's practiced a little bit this week, but he still, Heifel said today, hasn't been completely cleared uh, to play. And then Alabama this week, a game you're probably not going to win with them by week, and then Kentucky, which is the biggest toss-up game left on the schedule uh, in three weeks. It just seems like you'd make makes too much sense just to try to get him 100% healthy for that Kentucky game and have him ready for the home stretch of the season instead of playing a 70-75% injured hooker who, for one, a 75% hooker isn't the same as a 75% pocket passer. So much of what he does is what he can do with his legs, so I'm not sure he could be nearly as effective as he usually is at 75% compared to 90 So I think it makes too much sense for Tennessee just to try to get him healthy. And the one thing I'm really interested to watch is once again, this Tennessee defense, they played 100 snaps last week. Eighth straight game coming this week right before the bye against a, a good Alabama offense that uh, ranks fourth in points per game. But at the same time, it's not an unbelievable Alabama offense like last year. We have Jalen Waddell, Max Jones, Devontae Smith, best running back in the country, best offensive line in the country. I mean, it's really good, but it's, it's plausible that Tennessee could go out and play a good game against them. So I'll be interested to see if they can keep overachieving. And But at the same time, it's I imagine it's going to be some entire Tennessee bodies on defense uh, when they get to the second half of that game after the seven games in a row and just how much they were on the field last week. Mm. Ethan, what about you? Yeah, it's hard to expect the same, I guess, defensive showing from last week. I think Ryan put it in a really good good way when he said that there's they just got to be tired. I mean, you go against Matt Corral, you go against the Heisman candidate, and then to have to turn around and go against another Heisman candidate um, you know their quarterback, and and it's it's just um, young. I was blanking on his name, but it's just that that's asking a lot of um, of the Tennessee defense. And so what I'm looking for is is just a team to show up and to go out there and you know have that same mentality that they did against Ole Miss and compete and you know just keep going. And obviously that's what Heupel's going to do. He's not going to be talking this one up as a loss and. You know, whether Hooker's in, whether Milton's in, and I don't think it'll be Hooker, me personally. Um, whenever Heifel says he's day-to-day, that usually means that he's out and he's just trying to play mind games with Saban. But it's likely going to be Milton, 
and and I, I feel like Milton doesn't give the Tennessee offense the best chance to do this. So I'm just going to be really interested to see what the defense can do against Brian Robinson. They're uh, running back. He's got eight touchdowns this year, and then they got a very good receiving core, um, Minchie, and then I believe it's Jameson Williams leads them in touchdowns this year. So, you know, not as good of an offense as, as it has been in the past, but still obviously at a elite, semi-elite level, and they can, you know – put runs on the tired Tennessee defense so it's going to be interesting to see just what they'll do how they'll show up mm. I just I don't want to reward Joe Milton for how that ending went down in Knoxville on Saturday I just I can't put him out there maybe that's punishment to have him start against Bama but like no I, I don't want this I don't want him starting on Saturday I don't I can't I don't want any more I'm good forever I am so good on this I am so so good on seeing Joe Milton under center for Tennessee ever again. Just throw Bailey out there. You're going to lose anyway. Just see what you have there, right? Just give me a full game of Bailey. I'm, I feel I feel like I sound like a every 37-year-old Tennessee diehard right now. Like, let's give Harrison Bailey a chance. What's going on with Harrison Bailey? Yeah. Um, it should be known I had that thought earlier. I was like, yeah, you're probably going to lose anyway. Like, you know, what has Milton shown you that you know that he's going to go out there and really, you know, put it all to the table? Bailey hasn't gotten a shot. He probably won't be much better. In fact, I know he won't be much better, but, you know, why not? Let's see what you have. And uh, Ethan and I were walking down from the press box to down to the post game mm-hmm. after, after Saturday, and we kind of echoed your sentiment there because we were talking about Hooker's injury and, and how bad that looked at the time. And I think there was a dread uh, from both of us at the prospect uh, of having to watch Joe Bill play five more games this year. So, I don't know what what the answer is. I don't really think there is an obvious answer, but I don't think there's there's any harm in giving Harrison Bailey some some reps. It'd be nice to have Caden Salter still on this team to throw him out there in these yeah, situations. That would be nice. That. See what see what he has. You know, it'd be it, it is it is crazy just kind of how how much it seems like he fits Heifel's offense after watching it now for mm-hmm. for seven weeks. I mean, it, it really seems like he's he's the perfect fit with the the arm talent he has but also the mobility um it was it was almost it was it was very tennessee that you have kind of a quarterback who your head coach doesn't recruit fall right into his lap and be a really good fit only for him to get kicked off the team before he he plays the game so uh very very tennessee very tennessee but Taven jackson looks like he'd be a player we'll see we'll see um the Pruitt stuff. We have to talk about the Jeremy Pruitt stuff. Going scorched earth here. Um, it looks like Pruitt's just ensuring that he never coaches in college football ever again uh, to go down this rabbit hole. Uh, Ryan, what do you make of what's going on right now with Jeremy Pruitt versus the University of Tennessee? Yeah, I don't know if I, I agree with the, the comment about not coaching college football again because I think everything we saw in that article this week from, from Blake Topmeyer with the new, Knoxville News Sentinel. I thought it was just posturing on both sides. Hmm. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure Pruitt and his lawyers do have some dirt on Tennessee. I'm sure it's less than they made it sound like. And I, at the end of the day, I don't think Tennessee's going to want uh, any of this information out in the public that, that they do have. So I, I do think, while it doesn't seem like they've been negotiating at all right now, I would be surprised that came out ten days before the the date that it was the ultimatum to get the settlement done. I think you'll see something done in, in the next nine days. And uh, I will say, though, to your point, uh, another reason why I think we're going to have a settlement, we will have a settlement, is I think Jeremy Pruitt wants no part of uh, standing in a, a court of law uh, 
on the stand having to answer questions about well, that's what his, i'm saying if he has he to do all that it's over like no schools like if he yeah. goes that if he goes that route if he continues on and it gets to that point it's over there's no coming back from that that is 100 percent correct and that's why i think they came out so bold this week and everything they said just trying to scare tennessee posturing to to try to get a settlement because at the end of the day i don't think tennessee uh, wants this all out in the court of law and i Certainly. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt's not coaching in college football for a long time. It, it just goes to court. So uh, I'm still expecting it to get settled. But certainly an interesting uh, article. Certainly interesting to see how strongly Rick Barnes uh, snapped back at Jeremy. Mm. I, I like the touch of calling him Jeremy uh, in the <laughs> comments. But uh, it, it, it was fascinating. Never a dull moment in Knoxville. I don't think Jeremy and Rick Barnes. I, I don't know. Jeremy Pruitt, just he must have rubbed everyone the wrong way. Um just across the board it doesn't seem like there's a lot of love lost there um yeah i don't know um ethan though do you do you buy old coach philip fulmer's comments on it and uh just kind of put passing the buck to uh to uh jimmy pruitt because that was the part where i'm like okay okay philip oh okay let's calm it down let's not i don't know if you want to get into this one i don't know if you want to comment or say anything on on this front uh on jeremy pruitt this is probably not your fight rick barnes i totally get uh philip fulmer i i I saw that and i was like "Mm, i don't think so what do you think yeah i i think i'm i think i agree with you you know the first thing I thought when I read the article, and by the way, fantastic article. I really recommend it by uh, Blake Topmeyer. But um, really interesting read. But um, getting back to it, I thought Rick Barnes, you know, calling out for it, I was like, okay, that's that seems like something Rick Barnes would do. And when it comes down to it, I mean, that is the last person I would go after if, if I'm if I'm pro it. You know, <laughs> the last person I'd, I'd say is, is you know, in, in that camp of someone who would be cheating or doing something that's an infraction to the NCAA. I'm, I'm not sure Deacon Barnes is the guy I'd go after, but you know, everyone else who mentioned in that article, I could definitely see something like that. And so for like Fulmer to be, you know, saying what he did, that's, that's certainly interesting. Um, and, and like I said, we'll just have to see how it plays out from here. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting next couple of days. Well, I think we can, we can all universally confirm that no wrongdoing took place Tennessee's clear. Uh, yeah. Tennessee's fine. Tennessee's great. Uh, and you know, stop the investigation. Stop the count. It, everything's fine. No, <laughs> nothing's yeah. to, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Let's move on. Move on. Turn the page. Everything's great. Nothing to see here. Um, Tennessee basketball, though, it's here. Y'all have watched some practices. We've seen some long twos from the Tennessee offense, which reminds us that the Rick Barnes offense is here to stay. We're excited for that. New faces, five stars everywhere, good transfers in. This is the... I mean, this has been the most excited I've been about a Tennessee basketball season in a while. Like, I'm going to miss Ponzi a lot. Like, that's what I've just decided is, like, I'm really going to miss watching him swat eight balls away uh, against Mizzou or something. Like, that's just – I'm going to really miss that. Um, He's been awesome over the years. But this is a good group of talent. This is a bunch of high upside. I think Kim Palm has uh, Tennessee with the best odds of winning the SEC this season but the ap poll kind of differs um i think the first poll that came out tennessee was like fourth uh, among the sec teams in the top 25 but uh i don't know a lot of a lot of optimism ryan when you look at what you've seen thus far and the rankings do you think tennessee should be considered the favorite to win the sec coming into this year 
No, uh, not at all, really. And I, mm. I'm probably lower on Tennessee, Tennessee than both. And I, I Ryan I versus say, the computers. I, think, I really do think the top five teams in the SEC, which is how they were ranked, uh, however you want to say it, were Kentucky, Arkansas, Alabama, Tennessee, Auburn. I do think those teams. There's not much that separates them. So I want to put that out first. But I, I do think Tennessee's probably on the lower side of that, the four or five uh, best team in the SEC. And it's just a lot of question marks. I mean, you have, what is it, eight new pieces, seven true freshmen. You're going to rely on a lot of those guys to play. I still think Tennessee didn't really do – they did some, but they didn't do enough to address their post-depth issues. I think they're going to have post-depth issues again this year. And to me, what's the big X factor and what will decide – uh, whether they can end up being a real SEC title contenders right in the thick of the race in February and March. It's just, what, what does this group look like defensively? I think it's going to be a better offensive team than it was a year ago. you got better shooters all around the floor, and I think Kennedy Chandler having a true point guard for the first time since Jordan Bone is a massive, massive plus, uh, especially when you add his playmaking abilities. But the defense, really Josiah Jordan James is the one guy on this team that you look at right now and you're like, yeah, that guy's a really good defender. Tennessee lost, obviously. Pons, one of the best defenders in the SEC, if not the best. Both the, the freshman last year, Springer and Johnson, really good defenders. Uh, I look around at the guys who are going to be playing a lot for Tennessee, and I have a lot of question marks about what they can do defensively. Now, Tennessee always seems to be good defensively under Barnes and Schwartz. They're the kind of defense coordinator. I say with quotes is kind of what they call them. Uh, so I don't think they're going to be bad, but uh, the personnel is nothing like it's been the last few years when, when they've been really, really good defensively. Okay. Okay. Ethan, what do you think? Yeah, in um in that practice beside James um Jordan James, he uh he kind of emphasized just creating that atmosphere that um like I, I guess a uh, camaraderie is the is the word that he used I think and and you know just getting all those pieces to work together that is the thing that I think is going to be the most important when looking from an outside perspective on this team um like you said you know ranked 18th in the uh, AP poll preseason um. And then, you know, obviously Ken Palm hasn't pretty highly rated. I think they're sixth in Ken Palm in defensive efficiency, but obviously nothing's happened yet. So you kind of have to see where those pieces fit together. I think there's a pretty strong chance at the beginning of the year you see Tennessee kind of struggle out of the gate just because you got so many guys that have to learn their roles. you got Kennedy Chandler going to be point guard of this team, and, you know, he's going to make mistakes. I mean, he's really good, but obviously – in a system where you're moving this fast and at the college level, it's it's, it's not just going to translate just like that. Now, I could be wrong about that. He could be just a generational talent, but when it comes down to it, that those mistakes, I think there's going to be a lot of them in the early going. It'll, you know, obviously, as, as with anything, it'll buff out as it, as it gets, you know, later in the season. But Tennessee basketball is going to have kind of a rough start to it just because there's so many new dudes in the system. And, but at the same time, like, they're going to be a good team because you got John Fulkerson there. you got Victor Bailey coming back. you got Josiah Jordan-James coming back. Kamwa has been really vocal at practice thus far from what I've seen. So it's really exciting to see how these guys are going to grow up just in the system and you know just how they're going to perform this year. I will say someone I've been really impressed with is Justin Powell from Auburn. He shoots lights out. And, I mean, it's just practice. I haven't seen anything you know out on the court yet, but I think he's going to be a really good pickup for uh, Red Barnes in Tennessee. I like it. I like it. Our our own Joe Harris. Who who doesn't love it, folks? Who yeah. doesn't love it? There you go. Um, last thing, we'll like wrap up here. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Uh, last thing, Ryan, you saw some positional changes. Was it uh, Russell or Jordan Beck at third base for Tennessee baseball? You saw Jordan, some changes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Jordan Beck at third. Russell uh, has been strictly a catcher this year, which is mm. a position change of its own. You know, you see that pretty typically in college baseball. A left fielder going from uh, uh, the outfield to catcher before his, his final season. Uh, you know, that, that's pretty common. But uh, Tennessee has some uh, question marks behind the plate. He's gone there. Jordan Beck was getting some work this week at third base and first base. I think it's just an experimental thing, uh, especially at third. He he struggled a little bit, had an, had an error, and uh, Vitello was getting after him a little bit, told him to get back in, back in the outfield the next inning. So yeah, that's, that's ball baseball for you. They're going to experiment with just about everything. I, I would be – I think it's a little more feasible almost to, to see him definitely not be like the starting first baseman because that's going to be Luke Lipsius. But Luke Lipsius was – pungent i mean just horrible against left-handed uh pitching last year i think he hit 100 so i do think they're trying to explore and find some other options there at first base in those games where they're seeing multiple lefties and, and lipsius has just been a real real negative so uh, i i think it's uh you know not much to buy into as a whole but but certainly an interesting experiment and, and that's kind of what fall baseball is for mm. I like it. I like it. All right, guys. Well, that's all I've got today. Um, We'll end on this note. Final score prediction for Saturday, Tennessee, Alabama. Ethan, what do you got? I've gone back and forth, but I'll keep it brief and just say 52 to 14, um, Alabama. Mm, Not good. Not good. What about you? Yeah, there's Mm. there's just not much to say other than that. But, yeah. There you go. Uh, What about you, Ryan? I'll go uh, 42 to 13, we'll say. I, oh I won't keep gosh. Ooh, man, no faith in Tennessee's offense to do much of anything here. Um, yeah. I'm going to say... When you think Joe Milton's mm-hmm. going to be the starter, it's hard to have a lot of That's true. The Joe Milton yeah. factor does... That's, that's what it whittled down to. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say th- Alabama 38. I think Tennessee's defense is going to play well here. I think they're going to get up for this one. I'm going to say... Tennessee 17. I'm going to say Bama 38-17. I think Tennessee covers. Covers spread. Great teams cover. Great teams do cover. I like it. I like it. I cannot wait for Kentucky. I think we're going to go make the drive to Lexington. That's going to be fun. That is the the last big one cuz Georgia, I don't I just I'm, I'm not I'm not here for that. Um Ryan, what can the good folks check out from you at Rocky Top Insider this week? Yeah, tons of stuff, uh, kind of all across all sports. I had a baseball observations piece, got the chance to watch the team scrimmage about five times so far this fall. So they're right at a halfway point. They have uh, some opponents coming up, play Georgia State this weekend and uh, Louisiana Tech next weekend. So everything you need to know before that uh, on the team and then plenty of stuff to get you ready for uh, Alabama this weekend and as we get closer to basketball season. Are you going to Nuga this weekend? I'm not. No, okay. uh, I am actually planning on going to Kentucky, so maybe we can uh, wave at each other uh, on uh, I-75 North. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, we can wave at each other. We are the most antisocial group of people <laughs> known to man. We're gonna wave at each other on that. Um, speaking of like the whole running into each other, Ethan, you know what he did, Ryan, last week? I, he knew I was gonna know? be at the Carnes game, and he saw me in the in the end zone, just over here pacing, watching the game. It's like, no, nah, I'm sitting with my family. Never made the move. Never made the move to come say hi. Never never made the effort. It was like, yeah, just come see me and uh, all that kind of stuff. No, Ethan was nowhere to be found on my own, just hanging out. The girlfriend was not into making the trip on a Thursday. It was a rivalry Thursday. 
you know what? I have a rivalry with with, uh, with Ethan now. Just leaving me hanging over there. You can't frame it like that. I can, and I just did. It's First, my podcast. My name's on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my sister's in the band. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not able to leave at halftime. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost my family watching my uh, alma mater play, mm-hmm. Beat Oak Ridge. I mm-hmm. mean, that's that's all it was. It's nothing personal. Okay, the band he, over there. Ethan, mm-hmm. uh, the the Beavers. That's what cards is, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Beavers were were putting just such a such a beat down uh, chase on, on your Oak Ridge team that he didn't want to. He knew you were in your field. He didn't. He didn't want to come. Didn't want to come bother you. But see, hold on. Oak Ridge was up at the end of the first half, and they had a great defensive stand at the one before the half. Like Carnes didn't get in the end zone. In the like right before half expired. It was great. Oak Ridge had all this momentum, and then the third quarter was just this avalanche of sadness, and the Oak Ridge side was so just decimated. Decimated. So you're telling me that this was the Georgia Tennessee game? Yes, exactly. Game. And yes, that, it was. That's that exactly what it sounds like. Yes, yeah, that is precisely <laughs> what it was. Actually, that is exactly what happened. Yes, it was awful. The first time Oak Ridge has lost to Carnes in like 35 years or something, something preposterous. It's 1985. I'm not. Yeah, see, like that's that what I'm saying. Is that not number. crazy? That is a stupid number, and I was there to witness it. I was frozen in place. That's why I couldn't leave. I was basking in the brilliance of what I was seeing in front of me. Okay, this I hate this. This all sucks. Um, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I hate all of this, Ethan. What? I don't even want to ask. Why, why should I promote you on this on this podcast, Ethan? What uh, What can the good folks read in the UTK Daily Beacon? Yeah, so we got um, we got keys and predictions tomorrow for Alabama. Um, just everything going on with that other sports soccer volleyball have some matches this week and we'll have full coverage at utkdailybeacon.com i will be in tuscaloosa with josh lane our sports editor and we'll have full coverage of that oh you're making the trip you're making the drive yeah how long yeah, is I'm that making the drive uh, four and a half hours something like that I haven't looked completely but it's a night game so we'll be able to leave in the morning still be able to get my uh, high school game on friday there you go where are you where are you at this week I am west at Maryville. Oh, okay. Yeah, that should be a good one. Well, it should be a good one. Non-region game, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, non-region game, but still, you know, it's going to be an electric game. Two really good teams. I think top 10, maybe. I I, I don't know 100% off the top of my head, but good game. Should be Different classification, though, aren't they? Isn't Maryville 7A and west is like 5? 6A, 5A. Yeah, 6A, 5A. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. See, Georgia has seven. Georgia has seven classifications. Up here in Tennessee, you're you're still still a little bit behind at the sixth classification mark. What's going on? Got to increase well, that. Sadly, sad, I don't want more classifications. And sadly, and I could be wrong. I believe Georgia, the public and the private, play in the same league. That's not the case in Tennessee. So there's there's ten state football champions in Tennessee. Four private. Are you serious? Public. There's it's ten. Yeah, yeah, it's disgusting. There's so <laughs> many of them. It's a joke. Uh, it's a tangent for another day, but it's it's so upsetting. I can tell this really bothers you. You really hate this. Yeah, it's just so stupid. There's just and they I keep on adding so. more classifications, and there's no need for it. I mean, Georgia. I, I couldn't look at the numbers, but I'm sure Georgia has vastly more population than Tennessee, and you have seven classifications, and Tennessee's got ten. You know, splitting up public and private. It's I don't like it. He's really out on it, like really out, Ethan. No, like I that. agree. Mm. I, I understand. I understand completely. I get it. Mm. 
yeah i don't know but uh we'll we'll see i think that'll be a good one uh battle of the rebels i think isn't marvel and west they're both the rebels yeah mm-hmm. i hadn't thought about that see that's why i'm here that's why i'm here notes for some sort of story <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's gonna make uh, that's gonna make your game story a lot harder because you're just gonna not yeah, gonna be able to use that. it. I'm at all. happy that you figured that. I'm I'm happy you figured that out, Chase, because I would have figured that out right before the game because I'm the worst and my studying beforehand is not great. But yeah, that's that's gonna be a lot of fun, Rebels and Rebels. They don't call me the sports renaissance man for nothing. You have to earn that nickname and that moniker. <laughs> and you earn that nickname and moniker by being familiar with every single high school mascot in the Southeast. Uh, Ryan, are you checking out a game this, this weekend or no? I'm not. I'm actually going back to uh, Nashville tomorrow morning. So okay. I'm going to spend some time with the family this week and uh, get charged up for uh, the playoffs getting going here in a few weeks. There you go. There you go. Ryan Schumpert, Ethan Stone, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for making the time. We will be back next week. All right, the Chase Thomas podcast rolls along on this Thursday rainy evening here in Knoxville, Tennessee, but down there in Grayson, Georgia, the old stomping grounds, head coach Adam Carter joins the program. Adam, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for being here. I got to give you the interest and full disclosure here. I, I know Coach Godfrey and Coach Jones really well. They've been on this show multiple times. I'm looking at my part view in Brookwood helmets here, uh, here in the office, the studio. Um, Grayson, you got some work to do, man. I, I if Coach Jones, he, he's my guy. So it's a, it's a, it's going to be a tough matchup for you tomorrow night on GPB. Oh yeah, Coach uh, Coach Jones does a good job over there. He's got his kids playing hard and. Anytime you can roll out there with a quarterback like uh, Lonergan, you got a chance to, to win big. So we, we definitely got an uphill battle in front of us for sure. What scares you most about him? You know what, man? Everybody, you know, obviously when he's offered by Ohio State and Alabama, those kind of guys of the world, you know he kicked and throw the ball. But then you turn on the film and people are able to get pressure on him. And next thing you know, he's breaking off 30 and 27-yard runs. I watched him today against North Paulton back-to-back plays just gashed him uh, scrambling he, he runs probably in my opinion he, he runs better than what people give him credit for um but he's always looking to help field he can make every throw and they got a running back back there in digs that is uh he's a little small when it comes to height but he's, he's probably 190 pounds and he runs extremely hard so offensively i think they're averaging just around 40 points a game so it's going to be a tough deal for sure to, to be able to – you can't stop those two kids. you just got to find a way to limit the big play and hopefully play well in the red zone and try to keep them to some field goals instead of, of all touchdowns. And that's kind of how defense has changed, uh, especially at the high school level, right, is you, you live with the chunk plays, you live by the paper cuts, but you just – you want to limit the explosive plays. You want to limit stuff over the top. You want to keep two high safeties. You want to make sure you keep everything in front of you and you want to you wanna stop them when they when things get tight in the red zone, when – uh, just the, the field shrinks and you it just it puts these quarterbacks in a much more difficult situation playmakers in a situation right no doubt and, and you know the 7a in georgia the amount of just pure athletes at the receiver position is is tough on the defense and so when you get down in the red zone at least you can limit that space a little mm-hmm. bit um and, and everything seems to happen quicker which you know when you're not quite as big you're not quite as fast defensively as some of those guys it, it tends to at least give you a chance when you got all that space 
and they can throw it 40 yards down the field or throw screen game for, uh, you know, five yards and, and break one for 50. I mean, it's just they got an open toolbox, at least down inside the 20, 25-yard line, at least constricts those guys a little bit. But, um, again, that's we got to be able to stop the chunk play, man. And that's I, I agree with you. That's just kind of where defense is right now. Offenses spread the football out too many athletes to get them three and out and hold them to no yards in the football game. That don't happen really anymore. Um, and just unless you're obviously that much better than them talent-wise. But um, we just got to try to hang in there, like I said, and, and don't give up the, the huge play and see if they can drive it on us and, and try to keep them out. Absolutely, absolutely. Are you having fun this year? Oh, yeah, man. It's a, definitely a challenging season. Uh, you know, you lost a big group of seniors. We lost 38 from last year. Um, and they, you know, 25 of those were immediate players on our football team. So just playing some kids that are not very experienced. And so it makes your coaching job much more difficult to get those kids in a position on Friday nights where they can be successful. And so, but it's fun. I got a really good group and it's a big challenge. That's why you take a job like Grayson is to, to be challenged every Friday night. So it's uh, definitely a challenge, but it's, it's a fun one. How hard is it to get these kids psyched up after winning a state title last year? Is that something different for you as a coach to like think about with these kids? Just because a lot of them graduated, like you said, last year, but the ones who are back to just be like, oh, like I need you to get back up and be a leader and to get these guys motivated to do it back to back. Yeah, you know, we got to looking at it off, you know, on our whole team. Mm-hmm. We had really six kids that played significant reps in the state championship game hmm. and uh maybe seven if you count the running back so seven um out of our football team that actually played in that state championship game not at the end of the game when we were up but you know at the 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 bulk of the game and so you know it's just uh it, it's not hard to get them up i think that the challenge of it can get to them sometimes because just to where the bar is here i mean again you're familiar with the area and you know with the expectations at our place just like brookwood and parkies it's no different and so I think sometimes it's not necessarily that, um, you know, they get nervous or anything like that or get trying to get up for a game. And sometimes that expectation is just so overwhelming in a place like this when, with a bunch of young kids. I mean, Friday night, man, against Parkview, the last play of the game, I had two freshmen on the field and five sophomores on the field mm. uh, on the last play of the game defensively. So, uh, you know, those kids – they're, they're a little nervous every Friday night. So we're trying to get them out of that, trying to get them into that comfort zone and just go play and those kind of things. But I don't think we'll have any problem getting them up to play tomorrow night. Obviously, I think that um, Brookwood, talent-wise, and, and especially that quarterback position, has, has got a leg up on us. But I think our kids will go fight and they'll go play. I mean, you're not the only one there. I mean, Parkview, Coach Godfrey was telling me about that. It's just they have a bunch of underclassmen, too. Uh, it seems like that's a thing across Gwinnett County, a lot of underclassmen uh, across across the county. Have you noticed that? Is it just a younger – is it just a coincidence? It just seems like a lot of the typical powerhouses are kind of younger or skewing younger this year? I think there was a couple of us that had such big senior classes last year, and mm-hmm. Parkview and us were in the same boat, um, the exact same boat. You look out there Friday night for them, and – they're pretty much I think if I go back and look at my scouting report I think I have one senior on offense and that was the right guard and everybody else will be back next year defensively yep. they had they were sophomores in the secondary um, their two big long defensive ends were sophomores so um, I think I think us um, I think um, Parkview and I think North Burnett we all had a big senior class last year so I think that this year 
think Mill Creek and Collins Hill got a big senior class. And you yeah. kind of see that senior leadership rolling with those guys and, and those kind of things. It goes in cycles, man. I mean, it's just like most people, Gwinnett's such a big place, so many kids, you know, and, and so many different places a kid could go to school. And so, you know, you get a, a, you know, a big senior class like we had last year, and you may not be able to hold all them underclassmen because they're not going to play behind them kids for two years. You know, so they may they may hop ship and, and go try to play somewhere else and all that good stuff. So uh, that's that's part of it. But um, you know, I, again, I think that a bunch of us, us uh, I feel for Godfrey. I know I know what he's feeling like every Friday night, man. Just trying to get a bunch of young kids and, and go out there and play ball. And those kids he got play really hard last Friday too. What uh what do you like about the matchup with Brooklyn? You talk about the offense with your offense. What do you what do you like um, scheme wise against Brooklyn? How do you match up? Is there one particular area that you feel really good about going in? Well, I'm gonna be honest with you, man. Um, what we have done this season, and when we've had success on offense, we've been able to run the football. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Brookwood right now, what they're doing to people is they're not letting people run the football. So. I'm a little nervous about that. They got two big 300-pound interior defensive linemen and two athletic DNs. They got a linebacker, number 25, uh, McLean, that is just running side to sideline and wreaking havoc on people. So we've got to be able to find a way to, to formation them and, and, and do some things to to crease them and get some yards to, to kind of loosen those big boys up a little bit. We'll have to throw the screen game to get them run side to side. If not, they just pin their ears back and we'll go at us. We're in trouble. But And then we'll try to hit the chunk play. You know, I think that's against everything on offense is nickel and dime, nickel and dime, and then try to take the top off. And so, um, you know, we'll have to hit a chunk play or two on their secondary guys, which their secondary guys are playing really well right now. Um, they got they got two safeties playing really, really well. So, um Offensively, it's going to be tough for us. It'll be it'll be a long night um, if we cannot get some first downs going instead and change. If we if penalties and turnovers hurt us on offense, then um, then we'll be we'll be looking up at them at the, end of the game. So uh, we got to play well. We got to play sound. We got to be able to run the football and, and stay ahead of the chains. What did you learn about your team after beating Parkview last week? That they'll finish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had we had a chance um, to – I hadn't had a kickoff return for a touchdown since I've been a head coach, and they returned one to the four, and we got a defensive block in the back penalty, which I've never had in years. <laughs> I've mm-hmm. heard that. Um, if anybody else has, I'd like to talk to you about it because it was, it was interesting. But mm-hmm. we put it at the two, and then they scored on us, and then we threw a pick six. So you take those two plays away, and, and we only gave up seven points. Um, you know, they, we gave up 27 yards rushing, and they were like 27% on third down. So we've done some good things on defense. I know our kids will go out there and fight, and, and they're going to play extremely hard. And we're able to run the ball for almost 300 yards again, so that's a big deal. Um, and then, you know, the pass game-wise, we just, we're just limited. Uh, we got our best offensive football player probably, as far as an athlete goes, playing quarterback. And what he brings to the table running the football is, is, is special. You know, and, and he's got a really good arm, but he's not a quarterback. And he knows that. We all know that. He's not getting recruited as a quarterback. Um, but he, he's 6-0 right now for us. So we're going to ride him out and, um, and you know, just finding a way for the kids to, to be successful. And at the end of that game, you know, it's, you're on the road, in region. 
You know, you, you gave up a pick six. You gave up a big return for a touchdown, but then you kept fighting. You found a way to win. So we learned a lot about our kids. It was a big win for us to go on the road against those guys and a big region win for sure. I like it. Um, Joseph Stone Jr., he's just a sophomore, but what excites you about his ability um, throwing and running the football? Yeah, I mean, like, he's got a live arm. I mean, you can mm-hmm. see him at practice when he lets it loose now. He can throw the mess out of it. Uh, but mm-hmm. he's never been trained to be a true quarterback. You know, that was not the plan this year. Uh, our plan was for our offense to be revolved around him as, as a receiver, a slot yeah. receiver slash running back. And then everything kind of changed, and then you got to adjust a little bit and all that. But, um, I mean, I'll tell you, JoJo's, to me, he's got to be one of the top the top athletes in the class of 24 in the country mm-hmm. um he's he's been recruited and offered by georgia as a db he's been recruited and offered by other sec schools as a receiver so he can do multiple things he's a special talent um and like i said you know we get the ball in his hands every play right now at quarterback and you know there's gonna be some times where you know he makes some mistakes as, and it's just a growing process for him as a quarterback but He's gonna he's gonna make stuff happen more times than not, which gives us a chance to win. I like it. I like it. Um, I, w- I was watching the tape on Part View, and something that stood out to me was Taylor. He's he's just a really patient runner. Um, he's really good at recognizing when holes open up. I he's not afraid of contact and getting to that second and third level. Um, is that about what you see there? Is there another level for him? What is what makes him such a good running back for you guys? Well, you you kind of hit the nail on the head right there. He he's a five ten, two hundred five pound back. He's a mm-hmm. big, thick kid. He's a five hundred pound squat, three hundred pound power clean kid. So he's a powerful kid. He's not going to be easy to take down, and he's got really good vision and patience. And when you run this zone scheme stuff, mm-hmm. whether it's inside zone, outside zone, those running backs got to have great vision. They got to know when to put their foot in the ground. They got to know when to bounce. You know all those things, and so. He's done a really good job maturing as a running back and starting to starting to figure it out. And then, you know, I think some people, everybody's in the recruiting process, like, well, we got, we just want to see him run, we want to see him run. And you see a couple of clips on the outside zone stuff from Parkview when he gets to the edge and he yes. gets another gear. So, um, you know, that's there. He ran track all last year to get himself to a point to where he can make those runs. So he's a big time back now. I'm telling you, and I tell somebody, I told. A college coach today i thought he's one of the most underrated 23 kids in the state so um i'm hoping people take notice after this season he's having yeah i think so i think so uh good tape from him uh, i get to part of you um what scheme we haven't talked about your defense as much what scheme defensively has worked best for for your group this year do you have to change it versus years past were you able to get more installs in there and, and a different group uh with a different talent group i mean i know last year just talking to different coaches and just the limitations on what uh coaches were able to install with covid and everything in 2020 and how limited the playbook was on both sides of the ball um but are you most comfortable with man zone cover zero single high what uh, what have you been most comfortable running this year? So we haven't changed a ton. I think mm-hmm. we went in and tried to simplify some stuff for our kids, but we um, we give our kids a lot of information on defense, I'll mm-hmm. be honest with you, and, and sometimes probably too much. But we do give them a bunch of, of information during the week, and we do a bunch of stuff where they check stuff themselves and those kind of things. And so, uh, you know, we've had to limit some of that just because of the usefulness over there. But you know we're a three-three team, man. That's who we're going to be. That's who I am. That's that's what I believe in. And so, you know, we personnel-wise up front, we've had to change what we do a little bit just because, you know, last year we had 
six four six four six four across the board up front, and now I'm at five ten five eleven across the board up front. Mm. So, you know, it, it just creates some different challenges. So you just have to look at it, find a way to make your kids put them in a position to be successful, but still, you know, play within the means of the system that you believe in and the kids believe in. So um, it's a lot the same. I mean, people. Coach Goffin and Jones will tell you, we probably look identical. We've mm-hmm. switched up some cover stuff and some front stuff. But as far as our base stuff, we're, we're pretty much the same. Does that affect how you stunt and different things like that with your size in the defensive line? Yeah, I mean, we've moved those guys a good bit. Now, we do just tell them to man up and play straight up and get mm-hmm. out of win. And we just got to say that, you know, we've been in a weight room and we can hold up. You know, we're we're going to be smaller than everybody we play. Now, hmm. Last week, Parkview was 280. 280, 283, 40 at right guard, and, and the, another tackle was like 260. And my heaviest kid I got right now may be pushing 220. So, um, you know, Brooke was going to be the same. They got two 300 pounders up front, one's probably 340. And um, two 340. Three and then they got one. Oh, oh yeah, he's a <laughs> right tackle with 6'4. They lift him at 340. He is a massive young man. Um, mm. But they're huge, and so we're going to be smaller than everybody. So, you know, week to week, we got to find different ways to be able to use some of our quickness and our speed off the ball and to mix some stuff up to give our kids some, some advantages. The most difficult team to scheme for this season has been who thus far? The most, the difficult, most difficult team, team to, prepare to prepare for this, for this year? year? Yeah. Is this one. Okay. They're the best offense we've seen, seen since the mm-hmm. Dillon State Championship game. game. Um, um, you know, and then defensively, um, I know a little bit about the D.C. I know he was at Colquitt with a little while with Coach Rod, who, was, who I was with at that office. So kind of have an idea what they're doing, and then they're running some of our three high safety stuff that we do. So we kind of have an idea on that side of what they're doing. They're just really good at it, and they're big. Um, but defensively for us, you know, preparing for Lonergan, that's the toughest thing we've had to do all year. Um, and to be able to hopefully minimize the game that he can have is going to be the biggest challenge for us on defense. I like it. I also have a Camden Camden helmet in here. So I've had Camden on this oh, yeah. podcast as well. Yeah, Camden. I mean, they got the – I love the color scheme – uh, big Camden guy uh, so they've been fun over the years but I know you uh, have a strong relationship with Coach Aaron what was the biggest thing you, you took from him at, uh, at Camden and also um, before you took the Grayson job yeah, yeah that, that is, is definitely, definitely the, the, the biggest, biggest mentor, mentor that I have in this profession, profession. I, I, I typically, typically talk, talk to him multiple, multiple times a week, week and, 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 uh, and, uh, and still go back, back and forth with him on you know, you whether know, it's, you know, philosophy stuff or just, just hey, you know, what do you think about, about this? this? And, and he's, he's just been somebody that I can find him. But, but um, you know, you know just, just the way you run, run the program, program man. man. I try, I try to, to mirror it as much as I can. can. And, and it, it was, was back, back in 11 and 12, 12 so it's so been, been almost 10 years now, right? So I'm sure I've changed some stuff. But he was just always so good at getting his kids ready. You know, I mean, we played in that region one our second year there. And, you know, just, just getting, getting the preparation throughout, throughout the week, week and holding and the coaches accountable and getting the kids, kids ready and, and just, just running, running a program, program is why I went to Camden County. You know, I, that was a big thing for me to go down there and learn from somebody like him was a huge opportunity. And so I um, I take those, that time that I have with him is, is very important to me. And, and it's uh, definitely good. I mean, this position that I'm in, it gave me those opportunities. Last thing we'll wrap up here. Um, you're 34 now, or how old are you now? 35? 
I just turned 37, man. I'm old. Cat. Oh, 37. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I've been around a long time. But you haven't been a coach for a very long time. You got your start. No, I've what? coached my whole career. Oh, or I'm saying head coach. Career. I'm talking about head coach. I've yeah. Head, yeah, I've been yeah, a head, head coach. coach. This is um, this, this is, is year five. Year five. I was a head coach in thirteen at Bradwell, mm-hmm. and then and one year at Creekview, and then this is year uh, three at, um, at Grace. What is what? What have you learned the most? What is the biggest thing you've learned since you started? What what what? I guess maybe not you've learned, but what's been the biggest change in your coaching style from when you started to where you're at now? Man, I I, I think the the fact of I'm, I'm trying to enjoy the wins more. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to enjoy the opportunity just to win a game because it doesn't come easy. You know, when I was my first year as a head coach, I was four and six and. We lost, we lost seven to six at Effingham, and that would have got us in the playoffs. And it would have been the first time in about one year. But, but um, you know, the you know, wins didn't come easy then. then. And then, uh, um, you know, we were able to win one about Austin. And then the next year, we were not very good. And so then I take a job to treat for you, and we go 12 and 1. And then the first year at Grayson, we're 11 and 2. And so you kind of get where you're like, hey, man, this is what it's supposed to be. And then right now, we lose the opener in 21. And you're like, oh, crap. You know, and you lose again to Mill Creek. And, and again, you're like, oh, I ain't lost two games in a, in a, in a season, but, you know, just one time in the last three years, much less the first six. And um, so it's been tough, but I've just kind of, I've been making myself. You know, last Friday was a tough win. And just like, hey, you better enjoy it because these things don't come easy. Uh, we work really hard. Our kids work really hard. So anytime, anytime you can find a way to win a game by one point or not, um, you better dang enjoy it because you might not get another one. Winning consistently in 7A. It's tough. It's a different. It's a different thing entirely. It's a different thing entirely to sustain that success, um, Coach. I wish you luck the rest of the way. Uh, good luck on Friday. Um, excited to watch you guys. I'll tune in and, and grind the tape. But uh, good luck the rest of the way, like I said. But thank you so much for doing this. I greatly appreciate it. Oh awesome, man, I do appreciate you having me on. If you ever anything else, let me know. I got it. Got it. Thank you so much, man. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you to Coach Carter of Grayson High School, the Grayson Rams, for stopping by. Thank you to Bill Ofsted of Seahawks Playbook for stopping by to talk all things Seahawks. And then the Go Big Orange Friday crew, Ryan Shumpert and Ethan Stone. Go check all their work. Uh, keep up with all those good folks. Thank you so much for making the time there. Uh, make sure to follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. Go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com today for access to all of my previous episodes. Uh, like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Subscribe to the Sports Renaissance Man where I'm writing all my sports stuff at SportsRenaissanceMan.substack.com. Again, that is SportsRenaissanceMan.substack.com. Email me at ChaseThomasPodcast at gmail.com for any mailbag questions for any of uh, for me or any of the other hosts during the week, whether it's Evan Swords, Matt Green, John Taylor, whoever, uh, Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and then, of course, leave this show a five star rating and a review if you are an Apple Podcast listener. It matters more than you know. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.